Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another and impacting the world. Well, friends, it's uh, good to see each and every one of you. Yeah, this morning, I do hope that you have enjoyed the time of singing praises to God, of praying to our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We now are going to read God's Word and hear teaching from God's Word. I encourage you to turn with me to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 1. It's in the New Testament. If you hit Revelation, you've gone too far. (laughs) Bring it back a bit. The book of Matthew. Maybe while you turn there, let me just say uh, a welcome to visitors. I think we forgot uh, to welcome you at the beginning of the service. I do want to extend a, a welcome to visitors. And because we didn't get a chance to interact with you during the notices, I, I do want to say after the service, Jabu and myself will be outside uh, near... Uh, we, we, we'll be outside, we're longing to say hi to you, to <laughs> greet you, hear your name and, uh, and find out how you found out about us and answer any questions you might have about the church. So please do come and see us after the service. I trust that you found the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 1. Uh, this is part of a series we started last week. Last week we really unpacked the passage from verse 18 through to verse 25 in quite a lot of detail. Um, This week, again, we're going to be looking particularly at verse 22 and 23. It's a three-part series. Um, I'll try and give you as much background as I can as we go along. But for now, let me read from verse 18 to verse 25. Hear the word of God. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called His name, Jesus. Just so far in the reading of God's word, let's bow our heads and pray to Almighty God together. Father God in heaven, you are good. Lord God, your word is good. And your son, Jesus Christ, is good. And salvation which flows from your hand is good. 
We are swept up in the goodness of God. We rejoice in you. This morning, Lord God, our desire is to be set like like people upon a rock on your word, which is faithful and true and without error and sufficient for all matters of life and godliness. And so, Lord God, we ask, would you teach us by your word, by your spirit, would you renew our minds? Would you stir our hearts? And would you transform our lives towards the image of your dear son, Jesus Christ. He is our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Maybe just to start off, I am old. (laughs) Old enough to quote songs from the 1990s. Old enough to quote Beth Midler. Old enough to remember her playing on Radio 5 while being driven to school. I was in Standard 6 at the time, and the song was From a Distance. You might be old enough to remember it too. I'm not going to sing it. (laughs) But from a distance, the world looks blue and green and the snow-capped mountains white. From a distance, we all have enough, and no one has need, and there are no guns, no bombs, and no disease, no hungry mouths to feed. Well, that's pretty deep stuff. (laughs) But wait for the kicker. God is watching us from a distance. Is God distant? Is God withdrawn? Is God so far above us that he has very little idea of our day-to-day struggles? Does God know that Our world is in a mess. Does he know that people are starving? Does he know that people are dying? Does he even care? This morning, we discover in Matthew chapter 1, from verse 18 to verse 25, that God indeed does care. We're going to work through the passage quite quickly so that we can come to the teaching and the application. But I'd encourage you to look in your Bibles at Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, the first half of the verse. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. In his gospel account, Matthew intends to present Jesus as the king of the Jews. Matthew threads this idea the whole way through the book. The words king and kingdom appear 72 times in Matthew. The the opening sentence links Jesus to King David. Listen to it, Matthew chapter 1 verse 1. The, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. When the wise men visit the puppet king 
Herod, they ask the question, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? The message that Jesus proclaimed in his ministry according to Matthew chapter 3 verse 2 and 4 verse 17 was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. During his trial, Pontius Pilate, the governor, asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And at his trial, after his conviction, the soldiers mocked him, saying, hail, king of the Jews. And at his crucifixion, over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, this is Jesus the king of the Jews. Matthew intends to present Jesus as the king of the Jews. We could title Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 25 as the birth of the king. Read with me the second half of verse 18. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. The situation here is tense. Mary is pregnant and Joseph knows that he is not the father. Joseph knows that he is not the father because they have not had sexual intercourse yet. There has been an engagement, but there has been no wedding ceremony. In Jewish culture, engagement was a legal binding arrangement. Once you got engaged, you couldn't get unengaged except by legal divorce. The situation here is tense. But tension is only half of the story. There is excitement too. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Verse 19 and the first half of verse 20. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. At at this stage, you know something that poor Joseph does not. All Joseph knows is that Mary is pregnant and he is not the father. And it's eating himself up inside. How should he act? What should he do? And then, behold, (laughs) hark, pay attention, watch out for what comes next. The second half of verse 20 and verse 21. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. 
for he will save his people from their sins. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Joseph is about to discover what we already know to be true. This conception is miraculous. This conception is from the Holy Spirit. The angel said to Joseph, call his name Jesus. Jesus means Yahweh saves. The baby in the manger Jesus Christ is the personification of the salvation of the Lord. It is what he came to do. He will save his people from their sins. He did not come to bring political liberation. He did not come to bring economic redemption. He did not come to bring social emancipation. He came to bring salvation from sins. Amen? Here's the point of Christmas. Miss this and you miss everything. Christmas is the story of our Lord who saves. Verse 24, in your own Bibles, read along with me. When Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. Just again, so we have it firmly set in our minds. When Joseph woke from sleep, He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. Joseph is a just man, a righteous man, an obedient man. He he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. But even after the wedding ritual, they did not have sexual intercourse, at least not until Jesus was born. We know that they lived as husband and wife after that because the Bible talks of Jesus having brothers and sisters. But until Mary had given birth to Jesus, he knew her not. Last half of verse 25. And he called his name Jesus. And he called his name Jesus. That brings us to an end to Matthew's story about the birth of King Jesus. As as commanded, he named his son by adoption, Jesus. At its heart, the Christmas story is a miraculous story of the conception of the king. Well, that's the nativity story we are all so familiar with. But now I would like you to turn your attention once again to Matthew's commentary on the Christmas story. His comments which explain what is actually going on here. He he says for us in verse 22 and verse 23, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
Let's step through that commentary briefly together. Matthew wants his reader to know, he wants you to know that the Christmas story was to fulfill prophecy. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, God to us. And we covered that last Sunday. In addition, Matthew wants his readers to know, he wants you to know, that the prophecy spoke of a virgin birth of a son. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, God like us. We're going to cover that this Sunday. Matthew also wants his readers to know, he wants you to know, that they will call Jesus Emmanuel, which means God with us. And we will cover that next Sunday on Christmas Day when you arrive at 9 (laughs) o'clock. 9 o'clock. We'll see you at 9. No one's going to be at half past 10. Everyone's gone home to eat gammon. (laughs) See you next week at 9. That's our series outline. God to us, God like us, and then next week Sunday on Christmas Day, God with us. This morning I want us to ask the question, why is it necessary for God to become like us? Think for a moment of the attributes of God that you know from Scripture. One attribute in particular that, <clears throat> excuse me, that I've been dwelling on uh, this week is how utterly transcendent God is. How far above his creation and his creatures he is. What do I mean? Well, God is omnipotent, he is all powerful. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. We are not even strong enough to open a jam jar from the fridge. God is omnipotent, and we are not. Think about God's other attributes. God is holy. He is infinitely and unchangeably perfect. That is why the the four living creatures who hover around the throne never cease night and day to proclaim holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. We are corrupt in every facet of our being. God is holy and we are not. Think of God's attribute of righteousness. God is righteous. That means that he's more than just simply fair. He is infinitely and unchangeably right and perfect in all that he does. We are unjust. God is righteous and we are not. God is infinite. He is self-existing, having no origin, no beginning, and no end. We are born, 
We live, we die. We are finite. God is infinite and we are not. Lastly, God is glorious. He is full of majesty and splendor. He is beautiful and he is great. The fall of man into sin has robbed us of the majesty of innocence. No longer can we walk as kings and queens unashamed in the garden. God is glorious and we are not. God is utterly transcendent. He is infinitely above his creation and his creatures. Knowing what we know about God Almighty, is it not inconceivable that the baby in the manger is God? Absolutely inconceivable that the baby in the manger is the second person of the blessed Trinity. Absolutely inconceivable that the baby in the manger is the darling of heaven. It is inscrutable to the human mind, but it is necessary. Why is it necessary for God to become man? Let me offer you five reasons I've been dwelling on this week. First, it was necessary for God to become man because God is omnipotent and we are not. The snake deceived Eve. Adam rebelled against God and our foe was unmasked. Satan, that deceiver and adversary. Lucifer, that vile worm of old, is a fearsome enemy. The dragon is too strong for you or me, but God Almighty promised to crush that slithery reptilian head. It is necessary for God to become man so that he may triumph over Satan. Second, it is necessary for God to become man because God is holy and we are not. Man's rebellion stirred God's wrath. Only an acceptable substitute can appease God. Who will suffer neither sin nor sinner in his presence? A righteous one is needed to pay for the unrighteous ones. Who else could rescue me from my failing? Who else would offer his only son? It was necessary for God to become man so that he might appease his own holy wrath. Third, it was necessary for God to become man because God is righteous and we are not. We need a righteousness not of our own because we have no righteousness of our own. Sinners by nature, we cannot make ourselves right with God. But a man, 
living a perfect life, that man's righteousness could be credited to our account. Born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law. It was necessary for God to become man so that he might live a righteous life in our place. Fourth, it was necessary for God to become man because God is infinite and we are not. When you sin, you sin against an infinite God. And the wages of sin is death. And we must pay an infinite price. Or we must find an infinite substitute. It is not the amount of blood that saves, but the value of the blood. All the bulls and goats in the world could not pay the price our sin demands, but the God-man can. It was necessary for God to become man so that he may pay the price, the infinite price that his holy wrath demanded. Fifth and last, it was necessary for God to become man because God is glorious and we are not. This last point is really representative of God's attributes that I have not had time to expound on. If we had three hours, I would go on longer, but we don't. And so I'm pointing you to the glory of God as a final attribute to cover other attributes. His attributes, which otherwise would not be manifest, demand the incarnation. In his life, his triune nature, his imminence, his impeccability, his goodness and graciousness are manifest. On the cross, his jealousy and love and wisdom are manifest. In the resurrection, his sovereignty is manifest. It was necessary, altogether necessary, for God to become man so that he might bring glory to himself through the incarnation. But how would it be possible for God, that utterly transcendent God, to become like us? Yeah, I'm leveraging the work of a theologian, Wayne Grudem, who gave the idea that I suppose God could have indwelt a complete human body, a cadaver, an avatar of sorts, fashioned and made perfect in heaven above, and then descended to earth without having been born. The world would certainly have heralded him as divine, but not as fully human, part of the human race, the promised seed of Eve. I suppose God could have come into the world with two human parents, a father and a mother, his divine nature united with his human nature at some early point in his development. 
the world would certainly have accepted him as fully human, but not as wholly divine. God from God, light from light, true God from true God. No. We need God, divine in every way, to become man, human in every way. But how? This is the divine dilemma. Hear the divine solution. Behold. Hark. Something wonderful is about to happen here. Something worthy of your observation. Pay attention. Watch out for what comes next. The virgin shall be and conceive and bear a son. Eureka. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Eureka, Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, will not inherit a sin nature. Eureka, the incarnation of Jesus Christ is the divine solution to the divine dilemma. Born of a virgin, fully man, born of God, wholly divine. But... What does it mean for God to become like us? The Apostle John gives a helpful summary statement in John chapter 1 verse 14. The word became flesh. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? Let's break that down into its components. The word and then became and then flesh. First, the word. It refers to the eternal divine son who in the beginning was with God and who was God. Jewish readers of that word, the word, would have thought of the word as the personification of God's revelation. Greek readers would have thought of the word as the mediating principle between God and the world. Jesus is the word. Second, the word became. Jesus never ceased to be God. Nor did he lay aside his divine nature. Jesus added humanity to his deity. He never had to pick between humanity or deity. Nor is he sometimes human and sometimes divine. Jesus added to his deity humanity so that he forevermore is fully human and fully divine. Amen. Just making sure you're still with me. Third, the word became flesh. Jesus did not just get a body. He got everything that makes us who we are. A body, a mind, emotions, a will. He became like us in every way except sin. Jesus is the God-man, always God and always man. So that as a man, he slept and ate and perspired and bled and died. He was joyful, he was sorrowful, he got angry. But do not think of his body as a limitation to him. Rather, think of his body as his instrument. 
He came to save his people from their sins. His body is the way that that saving would get done. In Christ, humanity is evident in his ordinary human birth from a human mother. And in Christ, his deity is evident in the miraculous conception by the powerful work of the Holy Spirit. So what? What difference does it make that Jesus Christ is incarnate? All the difference in the world. The baby in the manger is the God of all creation. He is able to save because he is all-powerful, he is holy, he is righteous, he is infinite, and he is glorious. He came into the world to save, and he is able to save you. Have you sinned against God? Yes. Well, he can wash away your sin. Does your sin plague your mind? Yes. Well, he can remove it as far as the east is from the west. Does your conscience cry out that you are a great sinner? Well, he is a great savior indeed. Our God is mighty to save and he is mighty to save you even right now. It does not matter who you are or what you have done. Christ came into the world to save sinners. The Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save or his ears dull that he cannot hear. Call out to him. He will be attentive to your heart cry. God our Savior desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. The Lord does not wish that any should perish, but that all should have and reach a repentance. This morning, all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Do so. Do so at once. Do not delay. Believers, the world is asking questions in their hearts that we have answers to. Is God distant from me? Is God withdrawn from me? Is God so far above me that he has no idea of my struggle? Does God know that my world is in a mess does he know that I'm starving? Does he know that I'm dying? Does he even care about me? The answer is, he does. He cares, he knows, he has come. Into dark streets shineth the everlasting light. 
The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. For Christ is born of Mary. The commentator writes, The incarnation displays the greatness of God. Our God is the eternal God who was born in a stable, not a distant, withdrawn God. Our God is a humble, giving God, not a selfish, grabbing God. Our God is a purposeful, planning God, not a random, reactionary God. Our God is a God who is far above us and whose ways are not our ways. Not a God that we can put into a box and control. Our God is a God who redeems us by his blood. Not a God who leaves us in our sin. Our God is great indeed. Celebrate this great God, this festive season. Remember the one who humbled himself and came into this world to save you from your sins. Celebrate him in your prayers before food, in your prayers before New Year. Celebrate him in the time that you spend as you gather with family and friends as you come to church on Christmas Day. Celebrate Jesus Christ for he is a great God indeed. And may he be glorified in and through us. Amen. Let us pray. Father, it is an incredible story that a newborn baby lying in a manger might be the darling of heaven and the savior of the world. But Lord God, as we reflect once again on the nativity story, we recognize that it was necessary for you to come, else we could never have been saved. And our hearts say thank you. Thank you for salvation. Praise your glorious name both now and then into all eternity to come. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.